Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is it is June 8th, 2022. We're ready to begin our worship service. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for this time we have this evening. We are so thankful for so many things. Um, the fact that we're here, we have this opportunity to come together and to rehearse and to learn your thoughts. We thank you for your word and preservation of it. We thank you for those who have joined. And Father, we pray, especially for those who are sick among us. Uh, in fact, uh, there are names to mention. Uh, one is Dwight's wife, uh, Gretel, praying for her. Also, um, uh, Dave's sister, Lenora, who will be having surgery on Friday of this week. So we're asking for a special prayer for her as well. And I'm sure there are others that um, I may not have named, but Lord, you know the hearts of those uh, names on, on the hearts of, of those of us who are here. And maybe not here, but we are asking for a prayer, a special prayer um, for whatever concerns us. You, you told us what, uh, if we are afraid or worried or have anxiety that we could come to you and bring our uh, concerns to you. So that is what we're doing so that it, the burden can be off of us. So we thank you for that provision. Uh, so Father, as we begin our study this evening, we pray for wisdom tonight as we uh, approach the verses in front of us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So, uh, just, as, just as a reminder, I uh, just want to emphasize um, that the website is out there. It is, uh, there's quite a bit. Take, take a look, explore the different pages. I think there are six, seven, eight pages out there. I'm not sure exactly the number, but there are. Uh, plenty of uh, pages to review and take a look at. Um, so that is wordistruth.com. Uh, so it's a church website. So continuing with where we are in our study of Romans, we're in Romans 11. We're going to try to take two verses tonight, verses 9 and 10. So we'll see how that goes. And if we have time left over, I'm sure we'll delve into some questions and answers or whatever your thoughts are. So let's get to it. Romans 11, <clears throat> verse 9 and 10, it says, And David says, May their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. Many Christian-minded folk, folks look at their lives in terms of blessing. The Bible is clear that we certainly have been blessed. Israel was blessed too, but they failed to understand that God's special blessing carries with it responsibility. Yes, they were foreknown, elected, predestined, and adopted, but they failed in their responsibility before God. 
Their election did not mean they were special, but that God had a special purpose for them. If you feel you are highly favored and especially blessed, match that uniqueness with a sense of responsibility to learn why God chose you. So hopefully, uh, as we get into these verses ahead of us, we can keep that thought in mind as well. Um, as we've been watching Israel, Israel uh, go to and fro in terms of blessing and cursing and judgment and how God blessed them tremendously, but we also see how they were judged as well. We were, we are going to learn some things from their failure. And obviously, as we know, the reason why we are studying this is because Paul has uh, been given uh, the words from God to tell us why Israel, uh, uh, who objected to this, the church age, that is, why they don't have a leg to stand on, and how um, God did choose the church, especially uh, in spite of Israel's um, complaining and murmuring. He still chose the church, did what he wanted to do, but he does give Israel ample understanding and explanation as to how it all works. In him giving Israel all of that understanding, and it helps us who are in the church to solidify and to establish confidence in the calling that we have from God. Uh, we can see the workings, the inner workings of God and how it all does confirm that God did what he did in this particular age, this new age. And for your understanding, you need that information. So it is not just an endless pursuit of Old Testament passages. It is not. It is an understanding of why uh, God paused Israel and, uh, and why the church is now God's eternal purpose. It always was, but it was hidden. It was a hidden purpose from eternity past. So it gives us, that is our story. You know, you might say, what is Israel's story? Well, they were, um, you know, it's Abraham, it's Isaac, it's Jacob. Then it's uh, what happened and with Joseph and Egypt and Pharaoh and how they were, uh, God redeemed them from the Red Sea. You know, all, all of the whole story is Israel's story. We have a story. The church has a unique story. And I would hope that you begin to rehearse that and understand what happened, what all the scriptures were going through on Sunday, which is John 14 through 17. Now we're in 17 in these critical scriptures where... Jesus is unfolding all of this. And we, we have the passion where he goes and, and is uh, taken 
by these temple guards and, and handled roughly by the soldiers, put on the cross, killed uh, on the cross, uh, died for our sins and all of that. And then Pentecost happens, just as Jesus said it would. He was resurrected at Pentecost. So there we, there we have a lot of information. Uh, I'm certainly summarizing. But this information is critical to your understanding. Not only the information, but the timeline of it all. So knowing the timing of God is important for our understanding of what God is doing. Because he is strictly operating according to a timeline. And you need to understand that, especially as we're talking about the mystery and what was hidden from ages past and generations. And as you come to understand those things, you can have a good understanding of the Father's eternal purpose. <clears throat> that is important for you in this age. It's not only part of what the Word of God tells us, but it's a part of our heritage as believers in this age. Your heritage is unique. It is, uh, as someone was saying, I think it was Fred earlier, talking about uh, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man. That is what God has prepared for us who love him. So we are able to see these things. And this is our heritage, things that were not revealed in the Old Testament, but they are now. And we should be feasting on these things, not just a matter of rehearsing what the Old Testament says. And as I said, even though we might do this because Paul has taken us there, but it's for a reason. Make sure you don't get it twisted up about, uh, oh, you know, we're in the Old Testament. It is exciting. I hope you don't find the Old Testament as exciting as uh, some of the things that we have in this age, it supersedes. It, is, it goes beyond anything they ever... They didn't even know what our life was in the Old Testament. But there are some good object lessons to learn, and Paul is dealing with that. So, in our notes, we are, we are there, and we're going to... I think we just broke it down into two verses. So, the first verse says, and this is Romans eleven nine, and David says... May their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. So Paul quotes from Psalm 69, 22. Uh, really, it's 22 and 23, but I, I went to 28. Let's review that. So this is part of uh, where Paul is quoting. We might as well take a look and see it. Uh, right here in the scriptures to see exactly what the context was there. So 69, let's look at 22, but we're going to go all the way down to verse 28, not just 23. It just really uh, gives us more depth of understanding. So 22, may the, may the table set before them become a snare. May it become a retribution and a trap. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see, and their backs bent, be bent forever. Pour out your wrath on them. Let your fierce anger overtake them. May their place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in their tents, for they persecute those you would 
uh, you wound uh, and talk about the pain of those you hurt. Charge them with crime upon crime. Do not let them share in your salvation. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. So, obviously, okay, this is interesting. You see again the same uh, thing we have been seeing, judgment in Israel's history. Many, uh, many times we've gone through Old Testament passages and we have seen judgment. Even in Deuteronomy, we find that they were already disobedient. Well, right after they came out of the out of Egypt, and remember Moses went up to the mountain, and he stayed too long. As a result, they said, well, he's not coming back. We're going to have to make our own gods. So it, they were disobedient from the, from the start. But what we have here is this Messianic psalm. This is point B. This is obviously a Messianic psalm. So what does that mean when we say that? Is that we can see David's woes. In other words, the, the trials and tribulations that David had uh, mixed with the Messiah's suffering. So what, what ends up happening in a lot of even what we would call messianic verses in the Old Testament, there's a re they're really speaking of maybe a situation that is happening on the ground, but you can see that the writer is also uh, pivoting to a future event. So in a sense, they have a double meaning. Yeah, they have a meaning that was happening with David on the ground, but they also pivot to, so that people can understand something that is going to happen later to David's son or the Messiah. So we call that messianic in, in nature. And sure enough, this is a messianic psalm, uh, and it talks about may they be blotted out. So David is not only talking about his information, but he's looking forward to the time when Christ would be rejected by the Jewish leaders. And uh, he is saying, may they be judged severely. Crime, may, may you charge them with crime upon crime. Don't let them share in your salvation. Let them be blotted out of the book. Blotted out here means that they do not deserve to be God's representatives on the earth. They don't deserve it. Blot them out. Take them out, God. That's what David is saying in this psalm. And God does visit them with judgment. There is no doubt about it. No doubt. Listen, they will get what, what it is uh, their actions deserve for sure. Point C. Uh, the word is true of them. Right? And that is, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. That's John 1.11. We already know, uh, just reiterating, that the Jews rejected their Messiah. Imagine that. Now, you know, as Gentiles, we don't have the history and the culture of Judaism in the Old Testament. We don't. But as Jews who had that culture, they were responsible to God. They were a covenant people. And yeah, <clears throat> they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, to his face. They did not believe. They turned their backs on him and would, would not 
listen to him. Now, but that is not something that happened as an event in time. That is something that had started early on with their ancestors who had turned and rejected the Spirit's promptings that they be saved, that they be justified. And they turned their attention to the law as a means by which they could gain favor from God. And they were wrong because God would, would not have it. So they had developed a history of rejecting uh, the Messiah to come. And then when he did come, they rejected him to his face. So terrible way you think about it, but that's what happened. He came to that which was his own. Well, Jesus was Jewish. He was born uh, in the tribe of Judah. <clears throat> he was a Jew, and yet they crucified him. It's interesting. Uh, Pilate said, shall I crucify your Messiah? And they were like, crucify him. They did not I mean, imagine that. They said, no. And today, Jews are still looking for the Messiah to come. They reject the fact that Jesus was and is the Christ, the son of the living God. Point D, they were willing, point, they were willing to benefit from the blessings of God should be of being God's chosen people. And they were God's chosen people. God formed the nation Israel. There's no doubt about it. And there were blessings associated with that. When we say blessings, we are, are not just saying, oh, God has favored them and heaped upon them blessing upon blessing. He gave them what they needed to accomplish their special purpose. We're going to talk about that in a minute. So they were willing to benefit from the blessings of being God's chosen people, but they were not willing to accept the responsibility of their calling. So now notice there is a responsibility to their calling. There is a price that they have to pay because they were chosen. Obviously, they didn't have to, but it was God's will that, uh, that they would. He gave them everything they needed to fulfill his will, but they just refused to do it. So it's interesting as we look at that, that the, the, when we think about blessings, um, and that goes into the next point, they did not realize the special asset, assets provided for them were directly needed for the calling they were to manage. Now, let's look at this point a little more in detail because it, it really, I mean, God forming the nation Israel, yes, he blessed them. We have to say that. There were lots of things that were said of them. May, may they be the head and not the tail. May He will cause you to ride upon the high places of the earth. And, and Israel will be uh, uh, that nation, that priest nation, a royal nation, a holy priesthood. All the stuff he talked about, he blessed them. And he favored them. He protected them. He fought for them. He defended them. Israel is a special nation. You've got to, if you don't know that, then you haven't been reading the Old Testament at all. God did this. He formed a nation among all these other nations. He said, this is my nation. This is the apple of my eye. And I am, I am 
their God, and they are my people. I mean, this is something unique in this world, Israel. But they didn't realize. They said, oh, well, we're special. We're really something, aren't we? Instead of them seeing what God's purpose for them was and learning of it, they took all that blessing and favor and, you know, the defense and their, you know, all that God had given them, the land and so forth. And uh, they did not fulfill the purposes that God had for Israel. So point F is, the same is true of us in this special age. And I just quote Ephesians 1.3. Let me read Ephesians 1.3. Not that you don't know what it is already, because we covered it in detail. And, and it should be like that. Uh, scriptures I bring up, you're going to say, yeah, your head should be nodding. Uh, and saying, yeah, yeah, Ephesians 1.3, I know that scripture. That's what you should be saying, because we have certainly covered it. But now we're showing different shades of meaning, right? So, so praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And it goes on to talk about for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So there's a lot there that distinguishes us from everybody else in the world. God has chosen us out of the world. We could go on and on about the very special nature of who we are in this age. God even says we're a new creation because we're in Christ. Uh, not only that, there's all these ministries of the Spirit that we have. We talk about our, our, you know, the indwelling of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, the gifting of the Spirit, right? All of these things are unique in and of themselves. And we're, we're, we will top that off with the sealing ministry of the Spirit. Those five things distinguish us from every person uh, that would, was ever born on planet Earth. But we're talking about those who have that in this age. But not just those five things. There are more things where God chose us and, you know, you know, some of the results of the baptism of the Spirit where we're united to Christ and so forth. But those are the assets, the fact that we have the Spirit forever. He's a part of who we are now, right? His, who He is and His abilities have been merged with our abilities that we have. So, so that He influences us to think and to act according to the Father's eternal purpose. The Spirit's ministry is unique to us. And, and, and let me just say, it is specific to us. It's not, his ministry is not just to get you to not sin. That's not the Spirit's ministry. His ministry is not just to, so that you could be moral. His ministry is specific in that he wants us to understand and to walk in the Father's eternal purpose for us from eternity past. We've got to see that. So when we're talking about being filled with the Spirit, it, it is specific to the Father's eternal purpose. Being filled with the Spirit is an influence. Influence about what? Influence regarding what? Well, 
to be influenced in the Father's eternal purpose. That's why. So these are assets. Other believers don't have these things, but why do we have them? Why? It's because God is equipping us for who we are in Christ. There's a responsibility, there's a role that we will have, not only in this life, because even after this life, we're going to be judged according to, to see whether we did fulfill or not the responsibility that God has for us in this life. If we don't, it has nothing to do with our salvation, obviously. Salvation is by grace. doesn't matter what works we have. Whether we have them or don't, it doesn't matter. Uh, whether we're rewarded or not, it doesn't matter. Our salvation is the same. It is not of works. It is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we, we, we don't want to tie our salvation into what God has called us to in this age. But, but he has equipped us. That's the point here I'm making. Just like he equipped Israel for their special role and the blessings and all of the privileges and all of those things should have uh, helped Israel to understand that God is equipping them for a role that they were to play. So that's important. Point G, with their attitude of privilege and entitlement and their refusal to submit to God, even for their justification, just imagine, it, they did, it wasn't just a matter of they wouldn't go to the Gentiles and be a light to the Gentiles. It wasn't that. It was that they weren't a light at all. Their light was, was out. They, they didn't believe. They wouldn't even trust in the Messiah for salvation. This, this is not just some of them. The majority of Israel fell into this deception. And let me say, a lot of people in the church are, well, they're not in the church if they're not saved, because you've got to be saved to be in the church. But if you're, if you're not saved, many people are thinking that they can be justified before God based on their behavior, right? their good works, their attitude about, I'm moral, I'm good, you know, I'm better than other people. Look at me, and that's why I'm saved. That's a wrong attitude. Israel had that attitude, and it's still, the stench of that attitude is flowing into the church as well. People still have it. Judgment was going to be sure to follow for Israel. Look, they didn't fulfill their calling. Why? Because they, one, one the major reason is because they weren't justified. That's, how are you going to fulfill your call to, say, to go out and tell people about grace when you have an accepted grace, that's certainly uh, putting the cart before the horse. I mean, I don't even know if you even have a, a horse <laughs> if, you don't, if you're not saved. <clears throat> so anyway, it was an attitude of privilege and entitlement. They saw the blessings. God established. The thing about Israel was it was a racial uh, nation. God created a racial people a new racial nation that had the genes of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So you could be in Israel, an Israelite, and you couldn't, could have the choice 
as to whether or not you were going to put your trust in the Messiah for salvation, for justification. That was your choice. And you could see what they did with it. They didn't do very well. Uh, they looked at everything that happened to them as you know, entitlement, something they deserved. They, they just thought they were children of privilege or something. And then they refused to submit to God, even for justification. So we know judgment was sure to follow. It was sure to follow. So what are we talking about here? David says, may their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Yeah, judgment is sure to follow. Point H. So their table became a snare and a trap. What does that mean? What does that mean? Their table became a snare and a trap. It refers to the fellowship and spiritual life they were to have with God. Now, they didn't have it with God, but they should have had it, right? Instead of being a time, it, their fellowship, and this is when we talk about eating and their table and food, really the reference is their food, right? But the food, eating is a time of fellowship, right? This is how God looks at it. If we sit down and eat together, to, that is a, you know, a metaphor for fellowship, communion. And even when Jesus says that in the church of Laodicea, he says, um, you, know, you, you know, you say you're rich and you're this and you're that. But you realize you don't understand. You're wretched. You're poor. You're blind. You're naked. So, but then he says, uh, if you repent, I will come in and sup with you. Right? I will eat with you. Well, what does that represent? Fellowship. It doesn't represent salvation. I know people have twisted that verse into a salvation construct. But it represents fellowship. Right? The communion that we have with the Father and with Jesus Christ, and is facilitated by the Holy Spirit. That is why they needed, and, and we need that. We need this fellowship. We need that refreshing that comes from fellowship. Let's just see. Instead of it, here it is, let's re, it refers to fellowship and the spiritual life they were to have with God. Instead of it being a time of spiritual refreshing, and enlightenment, strengthening, and encouragement, it became to them judgment. And that's important for us to see because you're, you should be having fellowship with God. That, you, that is the, the life, the breath, the capacity that we have in this life. It's not just us obeying commands and doing, doing God's will. And it sounds, you know, pretty... Uh, mechanical but what makes it living is the fact that we have this connection with God that we can pray to him we can talk to him as our father or we can say daddy that's how close we are or that God intends that we be to him and then uh, that is our spiritual nourishment that is where we commune with God we get encouragement from God we are enlightened we see new vistas in, in the spiritual realm and God opens our eyes and takes us along the path of spiritual growth that is exciting 
But instead, Israel turned that into judgment. When God had to face them, it was not to have fellowship with them. It was to judge them. And this is what happened to Israel. I'm going to go to Isaiah. Let's look at this, 28, 18 through 21. We have studied Isaiah quite a bit. Uh, well, there's a lot of books in Isaiah. Uh, but I want to look at this one, 28, 18 through 21. Let's read it. Uh, I know my time will be getting away, so I'm going to have to speed up a little bit. <clears throat> 18, your covenant with death will be annulled. Your agreement with the realm of the dead will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge sweeps by, you will be beaten down by it. So this is a reference to the fact that the Jews thought that they would uh, always be those chosen people. God will not judge them, this and that, right? But God is saying, no, no, that's not true. Your covenant with death will be annulled. In other words, you can't touch us. We're, we're God's chosen people, right? Verse 19, as often as it comes, it will carry you away. Morning after morning, by day, by night, it will sweep through. The understanding of this message will bring sheer terror. The bed is too short to stretch out on. The blanket too narrow to wrap around you. So no, it's going to be frustrating. It's going to be miserable, this judgment. It's like sleeping on the bed and you, you, you can't even sleep on the bed. It's too short or a blanket that's not keeping you warm. Where you pull it on one side, then another part of your body is exposed and cold. Right, so the Lord, now this is interesting, the Lord will rise up as he did in Mount Perizim. He will rouse himself as in the valley of Gibeon to do, to do, here it is, his work, his strange work, and perform his task, his alien task. What is he saying here? What is a strange work? What is this alien task? He's talking about, he's, that's his nation. He's God of that nation. And yet he's going to have to turn around and judge his own people. He would, he does not want to do this. That's why he's saying this is strange work. That's why it's his alien task. He doesn't want to have to judge his own people. But he does. He will have to. And he does judge them. So, Again, Israel could have, they really could have, had a time of refreshing for the, from the Lord. But instead, that was replaced with judgment. So, that's why our, 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 our verse is telling us that let their table become a, snap and a, a, a snare and a trap. Uh, and, and this is what it means when a snare and a trap, why, what they're thinking uh, they can go to God and receive all those things that we talk about, refreshing. But no, what, what is it exactly they're going to get? Judgment. Point I. And the stumbling block. So, what, why? Some, their ancestors rejected the Messiah to come. And when Jesus did come, they rejected him too. So Jesus is the stumbling block. And Paul characterizes that in 1 Corinthians 1.23. Let me read it to you. <clears throat> he says, um, well, let's look at verse 22 first. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. 
but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Why is it a stumbling block? Why, why do you... A stumbling block is something, let's say you're walking along just fine and all of a sudden you trip over some obstruction, some, something that uh, hinders you and it causes you to stumble and fall. So what is that when we're thinking about Jews? It's Jesus Christ. In fact, it's a stumbling block today, right? If you talk about Jesus Christ to Jewish people, you will see varied reactions to the Lord Jesus Christ. As, this, as Paul said, it's a stumbling block. It still is today. Obviously, there are Jews who believe. I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about them because they do. They have followed the Holy Spirit and believed in Christ. I'm talking about the ones who have not. He's a stumbling block. Later, in, in the verse, we said, as far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. That's uh, 11. And this is where we are in Romans 11. So you're going to see the Jews, this is a problem for them. Right? This is what he means, is your table become a snare and uh, a retribution and a stumble and, and may uh, be a stumbling block. So where they should have been having all this wonderful fellowship, where God would have been uh, ushering them around the world to do their job, which was their calling, uh, all of the other thing happened, which was judgment, you know, they were made their backs be bent. We're going to get to all of this. Actually, it's in the next phrase. Let's see if we can, oh, we're at 902. Okay, we could probably do this next phrase. Let's look at it. And, and this is um, verse, the next verse, which is verse 10. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs bent forever. So the first point is Paul continues with the retribution for their attitude and behavior. So when we say retribution or recompense, it is something that is owed them. That's the way, the way Paul is seeing it. And, and actually, the, David is seeing it the same way. So Because that's where he's quoting from. And it's a messianic psalm. May their, uh, he's saying, may, may their eyes be darkened and so they cannot see and their backs bend forever. It's talking about because of the attitude and behavior that they displayed. <laughs> that is what the retribution or recompense would be. So point B, what does it mean for the eyes to be darkened? So they have turned away from God and thus their purpose, right? So turned away from God means they wouldn't receive salvation and their purpose means they could not, therefore, fulfill their purpose. A couple scriptures in Proverbs, let's take a look at them. Proverbs, we haven't been there in quite a while. Proverbs chapter 4, 18 through 22 is our first verse. Let's look at it. Verse 18 says, The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining brighter, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. So think about it. 
Uh, their eyes are darkened. Obviously, they're not on the path of the righteous because it, it is a bright path when you're, it's like looking headed toward the morning sun, shining ever brighter until the full day of light. But the way, it, so how do we know this? Because we're contrasting it with the wicked. But the verse 19, but the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. So now we know what we're talking about. We're not just talking about you trying to walk according to your own standards. It's, it's walking according to the word of God. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. And it keeps going, but our verse, for our purposes, um, just to understand what it means for their eyes to be dark. And they refuse to listen to the prophets. They're the ones who turn away. When God says, may their eyes be dark, he's not saying, I'm going to turn their eyes to darkness. He's saying, that's what's going to happen when they turn away from the light. It's, that's what's going to be the result. Their, their eyes are not going to see the light. They're going to go as the wicked go in, in their way. That's just like everybody else who is in this world, who is uh, controlled by the sinful nature. So, uh, and then um, 6, 20 through 23, uh, Proverbs 6, 20 through 23 says, My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them always on your heart. Fasten them, them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. For this command is a lamp. This teaching is a light and correction and instruction are the way to life. And it keeps going. It talks about adultery and different things going on. But notice that instruction perfectly fits with may their eyes be darkened so they cannot see because... Uh, it's a reference to the Word of God. And when you reject the Word of God, whether it's verbally or written, then you turn away from the light and there is only darkness left. So that's point C. They cannot, we're headed to point C. So they cannot see. So the eyes be darkened so they cannot see. So God allowed them to have what they wanted. So they didn't want the light. And they turned away from the light. So God could have just forced them, but he didn't. He allowed them their free will. And they, and God eventually gave them what they wanted. But there were consequences to what they wanted. So he allowed them to turn their backs on him. Yeah. Uh, Zechariah 7, 9 through 11. Not Zephaniah. Zechariah, I believe. Let's look at that. Let's see. No, uh, 7, 9 through 11. Let's read it. So it says, This is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless. 
the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. But they refused, here it is, but they refused to pay attention. They stubbornly turned their backs and covered their ears. They made their hearts as hard as flint and would not listen to the law or to the words that the Lord Almighty had sent by his spirit through the earlier prophets. So the Lord Almighty was very angry. And it goes on. You could keep reading because it, it, it definitely uh, is relevant to what we're talking about. How? it mean, What does it mean that they eye, their eyes may be darkened so they cannot see? And point D is just the thought. If you turn away from the light of God's word, you are turning toward darkness. Now just think about it. It's a, a metaphor here. But if you really think about that metaphor and you turn away from light and you head toward darkness, that's what you're going to get in life, even in life. The words that God has given us are for our good. That's what we have to understand. Even our morality, right? The Bible, morality is not the Christian way of life. However, God expects us to be moral. He does expect us to be moral. Not talking about for salvation. Salvation is free. It is no works whatsoever. But the Christian way of life does have as a, a component of it morality. And God is saying that this morality, this who, you know, this is not the fulfilling of the plan for us, but it is a protection for us in this world. God has given us these things, these uh, mandates, you could call them commands. And even in the New Testament, it talk about things that help will help us to fare well in this world. So uh, 1 John 1, 6 and 7 is the verse that I picked to go with this. 1 John chapter 1, 6 and 7 says, If we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet walk in darkness. So here, uh, there's a condition. People are claiming that they have fellowship with God, but really, really? God knows the heart. He knows where we really are. He says, if we think we're having fellowship with him or we're claiming that this is, we're alleging this is what we have, and yet the truth about it is we're walking in darkness. We lie meaning we misrepresent ourselves and do not live out the truth because that is what we are destined. That's who we are called. We are children of the light and it is upon us. It is our responsibility to live and to walk in that light. But walking in darkness and claiming or alleging that you're walking in light is not what we're called to do. We do not live out the truth. But verse 7, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, who's with, that's the fellowship we will have. We're walking with the Father and with his Son. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. What a promise this is. What a promise. If we conduct ourselves according to the light, 
that's that's what he's actually saying. If we would conduct ourselves according to the light, then that's all God is asking. What is the light? The light, the only way we can get light in this world, first of all, is by the filling of the Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, has to show us how to walk. We, we don't just automatically think that just walking in light is morality. Walking in the light is following the Spirit's, the Spirit's, the Spirit's guidance in our life. That's what it is. It's not just, oh, well, I'm moral, so that means I'm in fellowship. No, not at all. Walking in the light is following according to the influence of the Spirit, the plan of the Father. So people could say, well, I'm following the Mosaic Law, so therefore I'm doing the will of God. No, you're not, because we're not under the law. I mean, we have to, there's a specific way, as we already spoke about this, so I won't keep going about it, but that's First John 6 and 7. So then Ephesians 5, 8 through 10 also complements that and helps us understand what the light is and all that. Let's read it, 8 through 10. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. That's what I mean. We are children. Live, conduct yourselves, order your lives as children of light. For the fruit of, and he explains what light is, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. This is a key verse, verse 10, because you think what, what you think pleases the Lord is not necessarily what pleases the Lord. You need to take time to study your position out, who we are in Christ and what it all means. God is, now it's not just upon us to do it. God, the Holy Spirit, is the one who will lead and guide us into all truth. We, our responsibility is to follow when he reveals the truth, when he reveals the light. We ought to walk in the light, just like as we said in the previous verse. If we do that, then we have fellowship with one another. Well, well, what are they doing in the light? Because they are fulfilling the plan. If you ask, what is Christ doing in heaven right now? What is the Father doing in heaven right now? What are they thinking about? It's the plan that's going on that they are working to that end. And that is exactly what we are, are to do if we're going to have fellowship with them. We're going to be, just like it says, God, uh, for, for God works for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. Those who love him right, and are called according to his purpose. And we're seeing eye to eye with God. That's a part of the filling of the Spirit. Okay, so and their backs... Here, and there's this next phrase, and their backs bent forever. So may their eyes be darkened so they cannot see, and their backs be bent forever. What does that mean? So according to the Hebrew, the Hebrew words uh, in this phrase, the meaning here is regarding the weight of their judgment or retribution. I know it doesn't sound like that, but let's look at Psalm 69, 23. And I think... In this case, the King James renders it better, believe it or not, than uh, what we have. Or maybe not. Let's just look, let's get the understanding, and then you'll see what I mean. So Psalm 69, 23, 
says in the NIV, may their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and their backs bent forever. What does the King James say about that verse? Let's just go to the King James Version. It just says, let their eyes be darkened that they see not and may their loins continually shake. So, so that... I think when you look at that, what do you mean their loins continually shake? That's weird, right? So I had to research that a little bit to understand that it is about the weight of judgment upon their backs. And it causes them to tremble under the weight of that judgment, right? This is... And these, because right now we're talking about the recompense, right? May, so since they did what they did, they rejected their Messiah, right? May their eyes be dark. May they, they cannot see their backs bent forever. In other words, you're going to be judged and it's going to be hard for you. It's not going to be easy. It's just like the frustration we said. May, it's like a bed that they, it's too short. It's like, a, you know, they can't pull the blanket over them. It's just too short for them. It's going to be mere frustration, utter frustration, I should say, for them in this in this way. So that that literally shaking under the weight. So if you ever see these huge weight lifters, it's a good example. And so a lot of times they have to pick up this huge weight. I mean, and they keep putting more and more weight on. Obviously, they have contests to see who's the strongest man. But if you see some of them when they lift that weight and it's so heavy and the bar even bends, it's so heavy. And then they lift it up over their head and then you can see their legs shaking and everything shake. That is literally what this is saying. That they are struggling under the weight of judgment, of God's judgment over them. That's exactly the thought here. So... May their backs be bent forever. So, so this is what it says, and I just gave you the King James Version to help you understand. It looks like they brought it out a little bit. Loins be shaking, meaning the lower part of their body is what, what is referred to there. So, um, so point E, uh, uh, actually we just did E, so point F, we're almost done here. So point F, we have all seen the picture of Atlas, this is Greek mythology here, but Atlas holding the world on his shoulders. Everybody should know what that uh, image looks like. Uh, holding, a, a, you know, the globe and he's, he's under it, you know, obviously he's handling it. But uh, that's God's ideal for the nation. God expected uh, the Israel to be the priest nation to the world. They had the responsibility as the nation that would go out and to witness to all the other nations. So this reminds me of Atlas holding the world on his shoulders, you know. And, and, but really, Israel didn't do that, right? Uh, however, and this is point F, disobedient Israel struggles and cannot handle the weight of God's judgment, right? It is hard on them. They cannot seem to grapple with all that God has given them. Obviously, problem was is because they refused 
to believe and be justified by grace. And they did not have God's power to execute what he wanted them to execute. Uh, they could not, you know, fulfill their calling in their own strength. That's the deal. So point G, as we're closing, again, Paul shows why Israel cannot object to God's will for the church when they rejected God's will routinely in the past. And, quote, to this very day, that's what it says in Romans eleven eight. We had that uh, prior week. That's what we talked about. So, yeah, they can object. Remember, this is we're coming right back to this. Why are, are we here in the first place? It's because Israel objected to God. They cried out to God and said, no, this is not fair. You cannot call the church. We're elect, not them. We're chosen. We're foreknown. We're all that. Israel objected. And God answered them. And part of this answer is what we're learning. We're helping, God is helping us to understand why Israel didn't fulfill their purpose. But even, even in all of that, God knew they wouldn't, as we saw those Old Testament passages. But God had a plan to bring forth the church. That was not a plan B, it was a plan A. That was, that was the top of God's mind. He hid it within himself and he revealed it when it was the perfect timing to bring many sons into glory. That we might receive, as it says, the full rights of sons. Galatians 4.4 4. So we're going to have to close this thought. We will continue. Obviously the, the context continues to keep us relevant and in all of this. And we'll get to uh, next week where we kind of turn a corner a little bit. But yeah, hopefully this is something that we could understand and and see. But we're going to slow it down and see if there are any thoughts before we close. Anything that we can talk about that you know that you would like to raise. Uh, the floor is open. Uh, I, had a, I had a question. Sure. Uh, so earlier in your discourse, you were referring to uh, the indwelling spirit. Uh, and speaking of indwelling in spirit, my question would be <clears throat> Israel. Uh, we know that they didn't have the indwelling of spirit. Um, but those who were born again in Israel, what will we call? the form of preservance for them because you know that um, they will those who have died they will rise um, God will bring them to the ministry uh, in the new world they create the yeah. so God he did some preservance for them but we're not calling it an indwelling but we know that we are indwelled forever what, what do we call that? Is that just born again? Uh, so how do we how do we uh, verbalize what they received and they were born again? Forgot to preserve them. Yeah, yeah. I I think I understand where you're coming from. So our provision is the filling of the spirit and indwelling of spirit and all that, right? What was their provision as Israelites 
uh, in order to give them the motivation to fulfill the will of God and all of that, right? So a <clears throat> couple things they had. They had the word of God, which was the law, right? The law was designed not just, it was never to be a, a source or a means of salvation. It was always uh, by grace. Salvation was by grace. The law, uh, once they were saved, was a way of life for them. So the way of life for them uh, in and of itself was the motivation for other nature, nations to see how God, uh, what his character was, who he was, and you know, it revealed God, even in their feast days, their holy days. All they had to do was follow the law. And other nations would behold that and see God. So what they had, and you mentioned it, so they were, they were supposed to be born again. Born again means they were alive to God. Now, just because they were covenant people and had the genes of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did not mean that they were alive to God. And you could see the difference. They weren't influencing other nations. Other nations were influencing them. That's That was the difference. So uh, not only did they have the, the ministry of the Spirit, where the Spirit would come upon certain ones, but these ones would do things uh, or be uh, what God wanted them to be because they did have the special endowment of the Spirit. But not everybody had that. Not everybody, it wasn't designed for everybody in the nation Israel to have that. Only prophets, priests, kings, right? Those who had special calling would have uh, this endowment of the Spirit. It wasn't given to every single is person who was an Israelite, even if they were born again. But being born again meant they were alive to God. Being born again meant they would be able to understand what those rituals meant and uh, the feast days and the holy days that they had, it would mean that they would understand, whereas they were going through the ritual without any reality of uh, who and what they were and what their impact was, was supposed to be. So uh, in, the, in those ways, they would have the influence in the whole world. Right? Other nations would look at them and behold them and see them. Now, of course, you want to see how that happens. You look at the tribulation, obviously. That would be um, fast-forwarding, which you saw it already, but that's fast-forwarding what would happen. Yes, Israel would succeed, but in, in a sense, in the Old Testament, what could they have done? They could have been born again. That's the first thing they should have done. They should have been justified by faith in the Messiah to come instead of by trying to keep the law. And uh, after that, they would have understood that the sacrifices would have been more meaningful to them. Uh, not only that, they would have kept the law, which would have distinguished them among all other nations and so forth. So those are some of the reasoning, reasonings that I would give to as to what their provisions were in the Old Testament. And born again is a big part of it, obviously. And Nicodemus, as you said, he was trying to, he wanted to talk about things, but Christ said, you need to be born again. Because if you, you can't even see the kingdom of God. In other words, your eyes are darkened, Nicodemus. You can't see. First thing, let's take 
the scales off your eyes. Let's get you born again so you can even, we can have this conversation. So that's a good example of uh, what Israel should have been uh, in the Old Testament. I'll pause, Bill. Yeah, so I, just, I guess what you said was good, but I was trying to get a vocabulary who we are, are, we're not of this world. Israel is of this world. So we can't look at what provisions we have and say, oh yeah, so how can we compare that to what Israel got? You can't. You can't. It's just not comparable. What we have is out of this world. So, um, but, but we can, what we can say, go ahead, I'll, I'll let you add to it. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I wasn't trying to put a comparison on it. I was just trying to use a vocabulary word to to understand, um, like we know how we're preserved, we're in Christ, you know what I'm saying, our provision and how we look preserved throughout all eternity. How is Israel preserved throughout all eternity? Just, just by being born again, just by the same, I mean... Yeah, so that's what, what you're doing. What is the, even though you're saying you're not comparing them to us, you are comparing them to us because you're trying to use... Uh, the provisions that we have. Uh, so how do we understand their provisions, right? But that's fair. That's fair to ask. And so how do we understand their provisions? We do understand them this way. We understand that they have a history. God created a nation in the world, special nation. And that nation was, he gave them the law. He gave them their Sabbaths, you know, a special sign between him and them. He gave them uh, prophets, priests, kings, right? There was a whole system that they had, a sanctuary service, all of this. And obviously he gave them salvation because if they're supposed to be the light of the world, but, you know, they're not preaching the gospel, right? This was the big deal for them, right? That other nations can be blessed through them, right? That was the big deal. And that was unique that God had designed a system of, how other nations can come to know him through Israel. And so, so those are the provisions that they had. They had God, the Holy Spirit, which we talked about, it was a special uh, where the Holy Spirit would come upon certain ones. They had the signs, the wonders, the miracles. All those things distinguished Israel among ahead of all other nations. No, God didn't do all that for all other nations. So Israel was distinct in that regard. And plus, as we said, their knowledge of that would have been unique, right? The fact that they weren't just operating uh, under ritual without any reality. So now you would have had a, 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 a whole nation of believers functioning under 
you know, all those special things that God was trying to teach the world through all those feast days and holy days, right? So we don't have those feast days and holy days, but they do, right? And all those feast days and holy days speak of uh, aspects of God's salvation and provision for them and shows the world who they are. Yeah. So so it's we can we can ask that question and which is a good question, but we can't we can't say well okay well they have we have the filling of the spirit what do they have uh, we have this what do they have? We, we can't compare it apples and apples because it's not really the same thing. One thing we can say is they had the gospel or they were supposed to have it and but now we have it. We are the caretakers of the gospel to the world. But we're not a nation. We're in every nation already. Right where you are, you can go and give the gospel. You can talk about Christ and propitiation, salvation, judgment, all those things. We have that responsibility as ambassadors for Christ in the world. So we do share some of their responsibility, but way, way more. We're not just here to give the gospel. right? God could have continued along the same path that he had. He didn't have to bring the church forward so that we could give the gospel. <laughs> we're, we're something very special to God, as we have already discussed. So I'll pause. Okay, I'm good. All right. Well, it looks like we don't have much more time, but thanks. That was, that's a good, good thought. And, um, yeah, that's one good way to think about it. But we're going to have to close. And let's take take some time to think about, as was said, let's keep those prayers going for, especially Nora and uh, Gretel. Those are the names this week. Uh, obviously, we had also a death on Carol's, in Carol's family. Um, his name is Hanif. And he was killed. And so asking for prayer for Carol's family as well. Um, it's her nephew. So let's, let's just keep, keep all these people in prayer as we go throughout this week. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for your provision for us. Thank you for this Bible study where we are able to learn about our purpose and who we are in Christ. And Father, as we close, we're asking that you watch between us while we're in this dangerous world. We pray for those, especially uh, the names that we mentioned, the families that are associated with them, um, uh, the grieving families that are still grieving from loss. And um, we're praying for uh, healing as well in other cases. Father, you know what's on our heart, we ask. Uh, these things concern us, and we're bringing them to you as well. And we pray that we will continue to understand our calling and grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.